Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Business Podcast, the most creative minds and innovative thinkers in football. Welcome to the Football Co. Business Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Manby, and today I'm speaking to Alan Granger, head of brand and marketing at Sports Interactive, who developed the hugely successful football manager game. In the early 1990s, Sports Interactive rose to fame off the back of the Championship Manager series, which in 2004 became Football Manager, following an infamous split with then-publisher Eidos. Today, Football Manager is played by millions of fans around the world, from wannabe managers to elite players like Antoine Griezmann and Ilkay Gundogan. So in the context of Football Manager 2023 coming out on November the 8th, I'm keen to understand how the game keeps players coming back for more and how it attracts new users. But before we get into that, here are a few mind-boggling stats for you. The game is played in more than 190 countries and for Football Manager 22 alone, the average player has played 300 hours. That totals around 402 million matches with more than 969 million goals scored. And yes, 30 million of those have been scored by one Erling Haaland. Right, while we digest those incredible numbers, Alan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Alex. I want to talk a bit about who's playing the game, um, but before that, I do that, I want to have a little personal reflection on my experiences, not because I think anyone really cares about what I did with Canvey Island back on FM 2005, taking them from Conference South to Champions League glory, um, but more because I think it's interesting, as in I'll be a certain type of demographic in amongst others. Um, so I played a lot from about Championship Manager 2 through till about FM 2010. Um, if I was at home, if I was watching TV, if I was at uni, I pretty much had my laptop with me. This was second screening before we understand it, how we currently understand it. But then sort of post-uni, I didn't have as much time and I gradually sort of dropped out. And I probably haven't played Football Manager for five or six years. So, you know, not necessarily a conscious decision. I think life just got in the way. So anyway, slightly rambling sort of personal reflection, but I think in the context of my first question, it's sort of interesting to see if that's typical and if um, you know there's a way back for attracting people like me. So what I'd be interested in knowing is who's playing football manager these days? Tell me about the different audiences you attract. Well, first and foremost, uh, we won't hold that against you for not playing anymore. Um, we know that sometimes uh, life gets in the way. We see a lot from our kind of older demographic that, you know, when they start to get, you know, the kind of life, you know, kind of experiences and, and responsibilities that their capacity to play dwindles, you know, they might have a child, they might be more senior in their role and, you know, the game in order to get something out of it, you know, does take uh, a reasonable amount of commitment, which we obviously understand through, you know, the tracking and analysis of, of, of gameplay. To talk about our core audience, I think that's quite soundly in the 25 to 34 male bracket. We, as a studio, have been doing 
a tremendous amount of work over the past couple of years on audience. Um, you know, speaking to existing players, but also, you know, speaking to, to, to lapsed players uh, and, and also unaware players, uh, you know, really just to understand exactly what's going on, you know, with their experience. And we've distilled that down into um, six different persona types uh, who are playing the game. Uh, and they range from people who uh, are kind of more modern contemporary fans who might support bigger clubs, who play the game through uh, the prism of their existing football knowledge and just get stuck into the game. Versus people who are a bit more calculated, they tend to be what we would call more traditional football fans. Uh, they might play as a local club, they might play as a, a smaller club, and their approach to the game is very different. They're more strategic and tactical about the way they approach the game. And then you've got your kind of more experienced managers, uh, and then we've, you've got what we call the gurus, people who are now so good at the game, they're teaching others how to play. And then you've got what we call uh, the dippers. Uh, they're people who would love to play more, but can't for a, for a variety of reasons outlined, obviously, at the start. And needless to say, you know, as part of our understanding of audience, we, we have to cater for these people in very different ways, whether that's through, you know, tactics or channels or messaging or just taking a general proposition of what f football manager is and what it can be. Um, and needless to say, uh, over the course of the last, you know, three, four years, we've been adding more and more platforms to cater for the reality that, you know, if you are older, uh, you have more responsibilities. You're probably never going to be able to come back to the full fat simulation on PC, um, but you maybe still want to get that fix, that 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 exposure, maybe during you know an hour of feeding, uh, or maybe you know when you're uh, watching the game on a Sunday when when you're second screening, or maybe when you're on a commute into the office. Um, so you know being on platforms which we are this year, such as Apple Arcade or PS5 uh, or previously. Um, you know, Nintendo Switch, it just offers a wider, you know, kind of variety uh, and, and opportunity for people to still access FM. And, and as I said, like needless to say, how we do that, you know, the tone, the messaging, the creative, uh, the positioning, it needs to try and talk to what people expect and probably also what they don't want. Um, and, and I think, you know, it's, it's pretty common, you know, place and, and knowledge that there's a, an attitude towards football manager that, you know, you have to invest an obscene amount of time in it in order to get you know the kind of the, the return from it but we're trying to bring new things to the market new products to the market to try and you know kind of quash that and dispel that you know like arcade um where you can you know play on your mobile transfer it to your ipad transfer it to your mac and you can you can have a more casual experience but just you know transfer the the career around your life as it were you know whether it's on the commute into work or whether it's as i said you know second screening on your ipad so a lot of work continues on audience, you know, and I think a lot of our insights at the moment are predominantly focused around the audiences that we know best, which is the UK and our audiences that engage with us on, on social media. So do you have any examples there of how you might try to talk differently to, for example, the time rich teenager or student versus your time poor new parent? Is it different channels or is it different messaging? What are some yeah. of those examples? It can be all of those things. So, you know, for example, Language is a critical element of that. So the full fat simulation game, PC Mac, that's all about depth and immersion, you know, and detail. We'll really work carefully to remove that type of kind of commitment, as it were, um, on platforms such as mobile or Switch. You know, that proposition is really not going to fit the device. I think creatively as well, you know, we can, we can do things such as the use of talent or the use of assets 
in certain spaces that might appeal or not appeal to different types of audiences. So for example, this year, uh, we partnered with UEFA, um, which was a really big deal for us. We get access to the rights and then it's a case of, right, who do these rights best talk to? Which audiences are going to most engage with uh, the UEFA brand, you know, the Champions League, the Europa League? Um, and then tactically, we can use those assets to try and, you know, kind of generate recall and cut through in certain spaces and certain channels. You know, as I said, going back to audience, we know that the younger audience, uh, the more modern contemporary football fan, whose maybe relationship with football is actually through gaming as a starting point, they may respond better to the Champions League than, you know, our kind of older existing core fan. Um, who maybe plays the game as, you know, the local team, late in Orient in my case, you know. So it's, it's, all, it's always about trying to use, you know, the right type of insights to drive the right type of tactics, the right type of channels. For example, at the moment, we're seeing a tremendous growth on TikTok. But even in the studio, many of us who are still existing football manager players don't use TikTok. So it's like, you know, how can we be more relevant and native to the expectations of consumers on that platform? What does the messaging then need to look like? What does the creative then need to look like? How does that differ from more traditional channels and audiences such as, you know, Twitter, uh, which is kind of the bread and butter of our online presence? So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's just trying to be razor focused on message and, and tone and, and all those things that make up, you know, creatives um, in the digital space. I'm keen to talk about creators and online communities and how you engage with them. And my first question there is, I feel like every time a new football manager comes out, there's this sort of huge explosion of commentary about it and everybody's got their opinion and their voice. And what frequently comes about is this effusive, positive, optimistic messaging of, I'm going to take two weeks off work to play this game. Or, you know, I'm putting my life on hold just because I want to play this game. In the context of what you're saying about needing to appeal to different demographics, when you see that on Twitter or on Reddit, is that useful or do you kind of wince and think, oh God, that's just reinforcing this stereotype that you can only play if you've got hundreds of hours available? I mean, look, it's it, it's a it's a difficult one. I think, you know, cards on the table, that, you know, can I, I need to take two weeks off to to play this. You know, I need to make a dent in this. I'm so excited. You know, I think that's great for us. You know, there's a tremendous buzz and optimism that always exists, uh, you know, during the release cycle. But you could also look at that and, and think, well, what is that saying about the barrier to entry for new players who are like, wow, I heard this game's, you know, really, you know, kind of tricky uh, and, and, you know, requires a real time commitment. And I'm seeing people in the, in the digital space saying that, you know, <laughs> they're booking off uh, annual leave to play. I think the, the reality of that is that I think a lot of that excitement and that, you know, that commentary, it tends to happen in a little bit of an echo chamber in some respects, you know, because it's existing online football manager communities where other people, you know, share the same interests, you know, play and live. So we don't necessarily get a tremendous amount of kind of, you know, share a voice and cut through with that optimism that comes from, you know, the the kind of hardcore community. But in, in terms of like, you know, the kind of negative side of things, like it is something for us that, that we were constantly trying to, to find ways to challenge because it's the old adage of like, you know, if you have a positive experience, you know, you tell three people, if you have a negative experience, you tell 10 people plus. So if you think about the, the kind of lineage into FM, you know, um, which we kind of track and analyze is always through friends and family. So like, let's say big brothers telling little brothers or little sisters, you know, about the game. 
Um, we know that some of them are saying, look, that game took over my life. You know, that game dominated my time at university. And, and needless to say, going back to the previous question, we're always trying to kind of deal with that and challenge that and, and contend with that when it comes to the promotion of a new game, you know, finding new ways to make the game relevant to, to new audiences. But it's a real thing, you know. You obviously touched on, you know, the creator community as well. These guys are, you know, doing a fantastic job of engaging their audiences. I've seen in my nine years at SI really the kind of growth of that and the sophistication of what that now looks like. You know, they're putting in a tremendous amount of time. Uh, many of them are full time. You know, the production values are fantastic and, you know, the level of commitment that they're putting into the game. Um, Is this mostly on YouTube when you think about these creators? Or other yeah. platforms as well. Yeah, I mean, mainly. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say exclusively. We have uh, a long-standing kind of blogger editorial community um, who produce, you know, hints, tips, guides, you know, different ways to explore and, and you know approach the game. But we've seen over the last probably five years or so like a real explosion of you know the kind of YouTube creator community, which obviously now extends into Twitch as well. As I said, like very sophisticated. Um, I know they do a tremendous amount of work together on some of the, you know, stuff that they produce, Streamer Showdown, you know, other things that, you know, really for us as a studio are, are, are fantastic, you know, in terms of how that positions the game. And yeah, you know, I think they're kind of central to the to the buzz and optimism that, that exists, uh, you know, with any given, any given release cycle. It's amazing the impact they have. You, you know, you only need to look at the number of views on some of those YouTube videos or I saw a tweet, I'm sure you saw it as well, a couple of weeks ago, a guy had, I don't know if he'd played or if he'd simulated 100 years on Football Manager and he revealed who was going to win the Premier League, the Champions League, the World Cup and all these other tournaments over the course of 100 years. And it just exploded. I mean, it had hundreds of yeah. thousands of people looking at it and commenting on it and taking it very seriously. You know, you'd see someone say, I, I don't believe it, um, Nigeria are going to win the World Cup in 2058 or, you know... I saw a Derby County fan sort of saying, you know, room for optimism. We'll be back and winning the Premier League in 70 years from now. And, um, you know, and it absolutely took off. Do you engage with these people? Do you encourage them? Do you give them free copies of the game? Or do you just sort of respect that if you're doing a decent job at creating the game, they're going to talk about it positively and that will all be part of the ecosystem? There's no official direct relationship uh between ourselves and, and the uh, the creator community you know there's there's certainly no commercial arrangement you know obviously we do give them access to si uh, as a brand as a studio but, but they're not contracted in any way uh to do anything or, or say anything fm related i think what we have have tried to do um over the course of the years is um to bring them closer to the studio I suppose in a sense to reward, you know, the fantastic things that they do online, you know, the, the content that they create, uh, you know, as you mentioned is, is, is fantastic. You know, it, it drives awareness of the game. It's, it's very creative. You know, there's a lot of sophistication and, and, and commitment that goes into making it. And we, you know, bring them into SI. We, um, have done, you know, capture days where they can record from an alpha, um, QAs, yeah, you know, where they can connect with Miles and ask questions to the dev team and meet people across the studio. But just like with the wider community, you know, people who might uh, engage with us on social or uh, engage with us through the SI forums, like we really care about what they have to say uh, about what we do or what we're not doing. Uh, and we take that stuff really seriously. Um, and it's good for us to, to, to kind of bridge that gap in terms of, 
you know, just whether it's feedback, stuff they're experiencing on stream, um, or just general ideas. Uh, and needless to say, some of that will validate what we already are planning on doing. Um, some of that might challenge it, but, you know, it all collectively goes together to kind of help shape uh, the kind of dev cycle and, and, and the roadmap that we have for, for future iterations of the game. I think we've, we've actually invested in this area as well to kind of, you know, develop a relationship with the community. We've recently um, brought on board the community liaison, uh, who was actually a personality within the creator community to, again, better understand uh, you know, the personalities and, and essentially the needs of the community, because I think fundamentally, you know, where we are um, as a business, you know, the creator community and the wider community is obviously a really central part of that. Their enjoyment and love of the game has really, you know, helped power, you know, new people coming into the fold. Um, and, and needless to say, as I said, like we do, we, we, anyone who engages with us, we, you know, we take it all very seriously and uh, we, you know, use those uh, relationships and connections to, to help shape know what we're thinking about and and what we're doing from a dev standpoint you mentioned miles a minute ago um for those who don't know that's presumably miles jacobson a director at football manager and probably not unfair to say to some extent the face of the game do you think that's fair how closely do you work with him i certainly think he's a sort of um you know, reference point for any news about the game or any discussion about the game He's pretty bold and outspoken. He's certainly not afraid to sort of share his um, point of view. What's the relationship like between you and him when thinking about how you're communicating about games? Yeah, I think, you know, way before my time, you know, Miles was, you know, very heavily involved in the, in the foundations of, uh, of FM's online presence. Uh, I think over the years, Miles has become less and less involved, you know, as we've uh, added to the department. You know, the, the, the comms and marketing function is now, you know, 15 plus people. And um, now that the brand is very heavily established itself across, you know, kind of all um, social and, and, and kind of digital touch points, we, we kind of utilize, I suppose, Miles' personal brand less and less. But needless to say, you know, by the nature of, you know, Miles' openness and, and obviously incredible achievements in this space, you know, his personal brand um, has, has obviously grown significantly over the years. And, and I think where it's, where it's relevant, where it makes most sense, you know, we, we, we've got a very open dialogue with Miles about, about how his personal account might support the brand account. You know, there was a recent situation where we had to delay uh, an announcement. Miles' account was, was really the perfect vehicle for that. So, you know, there's, 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 there's definitely a kind of strategic role that, that his account, you know, can play. But, but, it, but it is a personal account. I think, you know, Miles as you can see, is, is is very active on Twitter. You know, he's a real force of nature. And I think, I don't think there's anybody across any vertical in his position that's as open and as accessible. And tremendous credit to him. You know, he he really um, goes out of his way to to kind of, you know, service um, all the questions and, and complaints and, and, and just general feedback that he gets in that space. And as I said, for us, it's about, it's about you know, strategically, like how can Miles' personal brand, you know, kind of support. Uh, the FM brand. Come for the football manager tweets. Stay for the updates on Watford Football Club. Is uh, <laughs> yeah, is, is the yeah. way that I see it. Yeah, with, yeah, uh, absolutely. With Miles's Twitter account. Well, I'm keen to talk about footballers, famous, okay. current, or past football players. Um, a lot of them play football manager. Uh, the likes of uh, Antoine Griezmann, Ilkay Gundogan. To be clear, again, these are fans, not paid ambassadors, right? And how much of a boost is it when they start tweeting or 
uploading photos on Instagram or other social channels of themselves playing and enjoying the game? Oh, I mean, we're tremendously blessed with, with Earn Media, you know, overall. But I think, you know, when it comes to pro players and, and elite talent, you know, some of whom you mentioned, I think the truth is, is that we really couldn't pay for that kind of coverage and awareness. And I think, you know, the key factor there is 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 really just it's authenticity, isn't it? You know, they're not delivering a branded message. They're, they're just enjoying the ride as a fan, you know? And I think when you when you look at the the examples, you know, the height of it, you've got, you know, it was Mandan Belly who's, you know, sitting on the bus after winning the World Cup talking about um, his, you know, Winchester save. Or you've got Griezmann, you know, flying to um, a Euro 2020 game, uh, telling Mbappe in real time that he's, he's bought him for Newcastle. And Mbappe responding by saying, oh, it's pretty cold there. Like, this is, this, is the, this is as real as it gets, you know? And I think we've found in the past that working with talent uh, and, and kind of pro players who maybe aren't authentic fans of the game uh, or who don't know the game, that, you know, the quality of the output is it's just not what it needs to be to be of any relevance or interest to, to players or prospects. You know, com- consumers these days are, are savvy and, um, you know, we, we know that better than most. So, yeah, it, we, we often just sit back and, and enjoy it, really. You know, we don't try and harness it. We don't try and leverage it. We just let it breathe and do its thing. And I think, you know, that's, I think in terms of that authenticity factor, I think that's, that, that's really the way that we're, you know, best place to, to kind of gain from it. So clearly a lot of professional players love the game. They play it organically. You have also done paid partnerships with the likes of Pedri, who was your hero star for Football Manager 2022. How successful was that? Yeah, um, you're very successful, um, especially when you measure it against, uh, you know, kind of key objectives such as awareness or kind of territory penetration. I think, you know, the decision to work with talent, it always starts with a strategy that underpins, you know, what type of talent uh, would fit into the tactic. Um, what's the story that you're trying to tell, you know, through uh, the prism of the, the the talent's personal brand. I think, you know, with Pedri, it was, it was pretty simple. You know, he was the wonder kid of the moment. He went on to have uh, a fantastic season and also an incredible Euros. Um, and the story was was essentially the um, the story of the ultimate wonder kid, you know, and, 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 and you're kind of relationship and helping him, you know, achieve his potential. You know, we're always analyzing uh, and measuring our success. And I think one of the things that we have done a lot of in the last few years is, is really the, the impact of advertising, you know, advertising effectiveness. And I think we see time and again, you know, through studies that, you know, talent is what, is what triggers recall and cut through. And, you know, needless to say, one of the things that, that we need to be mindful of is, is the authenticity factor. Do they have a relationship to, to Football Manager? Is this an authentic story? Uh, if it's not, the audience is, is going to see right through it and you, you'll end up you know, spending X on the talent partnership and Y on the amplification and it won't have the, you know, the desired effect. So I think ultimately for us, it's like strategy first, where does the talent fit in? How can we amplify that story? And is it actually kind of conveying, you know, the proposition of the game? You know, talent will always generate, you know, cut through and recall by the nature of their personal brand. But how does it actually relate to to football manager and the football manager proposition? Do you ever get a sense that they're doing it for anything other than fun? 
and I'll explain myself. I feel like championship manager into football manager has many times blurred the line between being a fun bit of um, you know gaming for for their users and actually being a tool that can be more than that. You know, there are plenty of stories about um, football clubs managers using the game to scout players on the other side of the world because there's no way they could do it. Yeah, the Collier brothers had a relationship with Everton, didn't they? Because they were fans of it. You know, do you ever get the sense that these players who are playing are doing it either to scout out other players they might come up against or possibly preparing themselves for a path into football management after they hang up their boots? Well, I suppose we know from uh, our relationships um, within the professional game um, and, and our club partners and the people that we're connected with that it's a wide variety of different reasons. You know, I think footballers travel a lot, you know, long journeys to games and back um they've got very different lifestyles to, to you and i you know they got a lot of free time uh, and not the same kind of you know freedom to enjoy it you know by going out or you know kind of hitting hitting the town or or doing whatever it is that people do to decompress there's there's then definitely a, a knowledge that a lot of players play because they're really interested in the tactical side of the game a lot of players have mentioned to us in the past that you know they've used it to scout opposition I think the beauty of it is that at the very core of it, it's just because like, you know, they might be, uh, you know, a Champions League winner, but they're just hardcore football fans. They, they, they love the game and uh, there's no real distinction or separation between them uh, and, and, and me, you know, having, having started playing all those years ago or, or, or anyone else that plays now. It's, it's a way for them to extend the love of the game. And, uh, and and certainly there's, there's definitely a, a, a proportion as well who are interested in the in the coaching uh, and the management side of things. Um, we've learned that very recently with a brand ambassador uh, and, and a talent deal that we're um, that we're working with on on, on FM23. You talk about authenticity, and you touched on the UEFA deal earlier. I'm keen to sort of bring those two things together. Authenticity, I feel like, has always been an important attraction for football managers. Some of the stuff we were just talking about there about scouting or understanding the game in bigger detail ties into that. Firstly, for the uninitiated um, or who perhaps don't understand the importance of licensing, can you let us know what you can and can't do with a competition license? And then particularly as it relates to the UEFA deal, which is brand new for FM23, what that means for players of the game. I won't touch on what we can and can't do. Um, that's maybe not necessarily my area, you know, per se, in terms of uh, let's focus through, you know, the, the, the question about UEFA. So when, when the UEFA partnership uh, was, 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 was agreed and signed, there's various rights that enable us to, to embed those rights into the game. You know, and and whether that's the broadcast graphics, um, whether that's the uh, you know the artwork um, that they use for you know you know the the cup draws or or, or any other UEFA related material. So obviously, our, our our kind of design team will take that, and and it's never just branding. You know, it's never just oh well, we have the rights now. Let's just you know brand up LEDs and you know stadium perimeter boards and and yada yada. It's how can we make this add to the authenticity and the immersion of the game. And, you know, with the UEFA uh, license in particular, that meant that we had to look at the way in which other rights are served in the game. And there wasn't necessarily the, the, the ability to just take what UEFA gave us and then just put it into the game. So we had to think about how this could enhance the overall experience. So what do you think about when you think about, you know, Champions League nights? You think about the star ball 
in the center of the pitch. You think about the walk walkouts, you think about the lineups, and of course you think about the music, you know? So in essence, what you're really trying to do there is you're trying to make the moment when it arrives in game, you know, more immersive and more special. Because what we know is that quite a large proportion of our user base start at the very bottom of the pyramid. They maybe start with a local team. And after four, five, six, seven seasons, like endeavoring to get to the Champions League promised land, we want that first walkout to feel, you know, like I felt a couple of weeks ago when I went to Celtic Madrid, you know, and like it's, it's, it's literally spine tingling, you know, the hairs are standing up on the back of your neck and your arms when you hear that music and the roar for the fans. And I think that's what it's about. It's about adding to the immersion, you know, adding to the authenticity. You know, you, you really work hard for your success in FM. And, and I think that that partnership is really about rewarding you, you know, when that comes along. And I think the reality is that, you know, the bet has been out for a few days, even by the time, you know, November the 8th gets here, the official release date. Some people won't even, they won't even experience the Champions League for, you know, another couple of months, you know, by the time they actually get, you know, Solihull Moors or Queen's Park to to the heights of, of the competition. So when they've put in all that time and commitment, we want it to feel, want it to feel special, you know, the way that it would for a debutant pro, you know, walking out to the Champions League music in real, in real life, you know. It's another string to the bow, isn't it, about this immersion? I mean, there are lots of stories. I know people who will put a suit on when they're playing FA Cup final games in, in Football Manager. And, you know, just for that one match, they put the suit on and they feel like they're at Wembley. And this feels like it's sort of another step as part of that um, experience that you get on Football Manager. Absolutely. Before we go, then a couple of questions on Football Manager's role in sort of broader societal issues. And this is something that Miles talks about being as a positive force for societal good. Yeah. I think a great example of that is what happened during the pandemic, start of the pandemic, people in lockdown and Sports Interactive decided to make the game free for everyone, essentially knowing that people were struggling, perhaps mental yeah. strain of being in lockdown. So who made that decision and what was the thinking behind it? Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, one of our studio values is considering the bigger picture, you know, using our, um, I suppose, our, our, our kind of affluence as a brand to do good. Uh, for others, you know, when we're able to, you know, the studio's a long-term relationship with Watchild and, and kick it out and, and other, you know, kind of charitable endeavours, uh, a lot of which Miles is obviously very central to uh, as a personality. So we, we're always, you know, we're always charged to think about the world around us. So when it came to the pandemic, it was actually really straightforward for us because, you know, we looked at the situation and anticipated that all of a sudden people were going to become time rich. But we also noted as well that, you know, due to the uncertainty, people might become unemployed. You know, we had the furlough scheme that kicked in shortly thereafter. But prior to that, it was like, look, we're going to get a spike anyway, just like everyone in gaming was, because all of a sudden, any barriers to, to do things at home are going to be removed. You know, everyone's time rich. You know, we've seen in the past when people buy the game, whether that's through sale periods or, or any other period, we can see what happens with new users in particular. You know, we can see how their journey is different to people who have a relationship with the game historically. So we were like, look, we don't really want to have a spike of people buying the game. We'd rather that money was in their pocket. You know, we had done a, a free weekend previously with, with Steam, who partnered with us on this. And we were like, look, let's get the game out for a week so that people can have no barrier, decide for themselves, 
if they, they actually want to spend their money and, and spend their time with us. Um, we extended that to two weeks. You know, the reaction was was unbelievably positive. Um, and what it resulted in was was people who were actually buying the game from an educated standpoint. They had made that conscious decision after having trialed the game and said, yeah, I want to part with, you know, whatever it was that cost them. I think we gave them a discounted rate, you know, during that period as well. But the, the, the kind of central, you know, kind of element to that was like, you know, as I said, through the prism of the studio values, this could be an opportunity for us to step back and go, all of a sudden we're going to have all these people who are, who are time rich and leave the game at full price and just let it do its thing. We, we just felt that that was, that just really wasn't the right thing to do. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we, we ended up with close to a million new players, many of whom uh, went on to buy the game and, and, and many, many of whom are, are still with us now a couple of years later. So much. So there was a commercial rationale behind it, presumably as well. But first and foremost, it came from let's try to help some people out in a difficult situation. I think when you're selling a product, a commodity, there, there's always going to be a commercial element to it. I think for us, the the central element of it was it just felt like the right thing to do. You know, as I said, we could have sat back and said, well, you know, we're going to see a spike um, anyway. You know, because the key barrier to playing FM is all of a sudden removed. And ask anyone who's ever played the game, like it's a, it's, it, it can be a really, you know, kind of a good friend on a, on a quiet weekend, you know, when you've got, you know, nothing to do and, and plenty of time to yourself. So, yeah, we just felt like in the context of our values and, and the bigger picture that offering the opportunity for free and let people test it and decide if it was for them was, was, uh, was the right avenue. A conversation which always comes up in relation to new football manager games is women's football. Yeah. Obviously, it's something that we talk about a lot in the industry, in the football yep. industry as a whole. On this podcast, we talk about women's football many times as well. Miles wrote a blog post about a year ago saying that it's in the pipe works, it's going to come, it's just not something to be rushed. And that, I thought, was probably made sense for lots of reasons. The expansion, the interest, the rise of the importance of women's football kind of means that that's probably an inevitability. But it was interesting, I found, in that blog post from Miles, and, and I'll read it here, he said, we believe in equality for all and we want to be part of the solution. That was interesting because he really put that as a sort of driving force for let's get women's football into the game. Obviously, there are a lot of big considerations about how to do it and it's not simple. <laughs> But um, but he sort of put that really as the most important factor for doing it. Yeah, implementing the women's game into something as as complicated as, as football manager you know currently is, is is a real it's a real complex endeavour. It's divided into many areas as well. You know you've got the, the the animation side of things which needs to differ from the male capture. You've got collecting all of the data, which is brand new. The football manager database has been building for twenty five years. You know. You've got the the kind of the research, the licensing, translation, uh, and then you've got the kind of gameplay and the design because the women's game is is different from the men's game. And I think you know whilst we've made um, you know really good progress internally over the last twelve months, I think it's it's been slower um, in many areas than than we would have hoped and anticipated. It's always been communicated, you know, as a as a multi year you know project. Uh, and, and and the reality of the situation is, is that we really need the time to get it right because. The reason why people play football manager is because we've we went to the the nth degree to to really meticulously model the world of football. So that's what they expect a football manager. And you know, cards on the table, like we don't feel comfortable, you know, rushing it out before it's ready, uh, because we want the women's game 
to be a living, breathing world the way that the men's game is because that's what it deserves to be. And I think that's what Miles is talking about as well when he, when he, when he speaks about the equality aspect. And I think, you know, taking our time to do this properly, I think we'll have the desired effect, um, which is to um, excite, you know, fans of the women's game. And I think rushing stuff out to, to maybe fit a moment you know, we've just had the, the the women's Euros, for example, and I suppose you could have looked at that and went, this is a good opportunity to kind of piggyback in the top of it. But that's no SI. You know, that's really not what we're about at all. You know, we've actually had similar things recently about why we never uh, looked at international management for the World Cup. And, you know, based on our analysis of, you know, who plays international management and based on our, our feelings towards the opportunity, it, it never fit with what we wanted to do. And uh, I'm sure that causes a lot of, you know, fan frustration in terms of the time factor or the delays or just the the, kind of, the anticipation to get a hold, you know, to get their hands on it. But um, yeah, we need to take our time. And I think it's, it's something that we'll be addressing uh, over the coming weeks, uh, probably in the form of, uh, of another um, kind of, you know, Miles type blog where uh, he talks quite openly about some of the challenges that we're, that we're experiencing and outlines more of a time frame for, for when people can expect it. Do you think it's the biggest thing right now, the sort of future editions of Football Manager and what will be coming to it? Do you think it's kind of the most pressing issue or is it the thing you get talked about, asked about the most? Or is there something else that you can sort of tantalisingly talk about, um, yeah. which is sort of the big question? I'll be honest, I take this back to the audience and I put this through the prism of personas. And this is why we've done a tremendous amount of audience work over the last you know couple of years is that from persona to persona, from segment to segment, they all want and care about very different things. Some people would just forego any real new features and, and just have an enhanced engine, you know, crisper animation, for example. Some people don't care about that. Some people play still with the 2D dots, you know, and what they want is more, you know, data and power to really stamp their vision on the world. So the reality of the situation is, is that um, it's one of many things that the different types of, you know, players and prospects uh, are eager about. You know, needless to say, when you're servicing a, a global fan base of, you know, millions of players, there needs to be a balance because, you know, I think in the context of whether it's resource or budget or, you know, various other factors that comprise making games, we, 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 we can't do everything in, in, in any given cycle. And I think the things that we do do and want to do you know miles always talks about like a, a particular kind of you know percentage that that things have to achieve in terms of like you know kind of performance and and experience and value and if something isn't there or we kind of get it to there in a particular cycle then it just gets it gets put into the roadmap for for future iterations and and as i said and as i touched on I totally appreciate that that creates you know fan frustration but this is the this is the complex endeavor I, I'm making games, you know? No, Alan, I know that there is a long list of possible new features that might be part of the next or the following or the following Football Manager game. So uh, I won't press you too hard on that. And um, we should probably leave it there. But uh, Alan, thank you very much for your time. Absolute pleasure, Alex. Thanks for having me on. And thanks for listening. Please subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on any future episodes. All the best. Business Podcast. The most creative minds and innovative thinkers in football.